0: hey everybody hey everybody this is your man jason miles and welcome to real estate 360. today we're going to focus on all things multifamily i know we've been talking a lot about creative financing raising private capital but all of this goes hand in hand why because there are niches in the market and no matter where you are starting in real estate ultimately you want to get to a point where you're getting what i like to call mailbox money and today we're gonna be talking to a juggernaut in the space. His name is Ken, Kenneth G, Ken, right? He runs and owns and operates a company called KRI Partners, which fo- focuses on multifamily, raising private capital and being you know, a, a, an excellent operator. And you can't have a portfolio the size of his without being an excellent operator. We're talking about someone who has over 24 years experience in this space, He's been involved in the financial markets for a long time, private equity and such. I mean, the guy's got a resume. And he's going to share with us some of the do's and don'ts, the pros and cons, things that we're looking at in the market today. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let me bring the man, the man, the myth, Mr. Ken G, live to the stage. What's going on, Ken? Everybody, hey. Jason. Pr- hey. hey.
1: <laughs> you're killing me, man. You're killing me. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled so, I'm thrilled to be here, man. Thank you
0: for being here, man. I mean, it is an honor uh to have someone of your caliber here to really kind of I mean, you're you're from for all intents and purposes, you are on top of the pile. I know there are some super, super massive uh groups out there, but um you know, with the exception of that I mean, you're, you're, I'd say, still in the 1%, right? So. Yeah, we're there. We're there. So, um, you know, it's it's important, really. Our, our listeners are of all, you know, investment levels, right? You've got people that are just starting out. You've got people that are extremely active. You've got people like myself that, you know, just have a, a relatively small portfolio. And then you have people that have, I mean, we've got people in the organization that have several thousand doors. And one thing that's a common thread, Ken, right now is you know the economy. Obviously, rising interest rates affect everyone. Inflation affects everyone. You know what are you seeing in the industry right now from a multifamily
1: perspective? Yeah, sure. So uh, we w- most of what we do is in Central Florida, Central Northern Florida. So the reason I like to be there is that it's a it's a massive demand supply imbalance much more demand than there is supply that that's really important because when we have recessions when we have things like this that tend to uh slow down demand or degrade demand uh, we're our imbalance is so great that even with the diminished demand we are still in a significant demand supply imbalance so we're you know we're not seeing uh, anything significant uh, in terms of degradation of demand. that That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you that, you know, we're, we're in inflationary times right now. And uh, so imagine now, imagine we're operating with this demand supply imbalance. Now imagine here comes inflation and here comes the Fed trying to tap it down, right? They're trying to tamp it down mm-hmm. with raising rising interest rates. Mm-hmm. So when you have rising interest rates, what happens? That makes it harder for people to buy homes. So we already have this huge imbalance. Well, the Fed is making it even more imbalanced because they're pushing even more people back into the renter pool. Hmm. So it it's like any economic, you know, think about your economics class in college. Most people don't like to think about that class because it's, it's kind of <laughs> ugly, but it's what it's all about. It's demand supply imbalance, which allows us to continue to to move rents, continue to improve our properties, make them nicer and then get paid to do that so uh we're not seeing any ill effects of it and in, in fact uh you know it, it especially in our markets it continues to just go like gangbusters
0: and i get that you know i see how of course the, all that plays into the Well, econ- how the economy plays into you and all other operators doing quite well in this economy of course we've seen right out of the pandemic we've seen um apartment buildings just explode. Obviously, rents were exploding. From a rental perspective, even though we see demand going up, are, we, are you seeing in the areas that you are investing in kind of a cooling down from the rental perspective or in terms of the actual expense that people are paying, what they're actually paying?
1: No. I mean, we're, we're not seeing anything like that in our markets. Now, I, I'm pretty sure there are parts of the country... That that demand supply equation looks very different, mm. and it looked very different before. So if that's the case, you know they're they're probably you know they would have a different answer to the question that you just asked. But in our markets, you know, I mean, we're not raising rents twenty percent. Don't get me wrong, right? We're in the value add game. So yeah. we go in, we know where the property is now. We're going to make it nicer. We know that once we do that, it kind of becomes a, a member of a different competitive set. And then we move rents accordingly, so we're getting that when we do our underwriting. I mean we budget two, three percent tops uh rent projections above that, and we're 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 obviously beating that with, without any difficulty at all. So no, we're not seeing the cooling off mm. uh we're just not now what is cooling off is the velocity of sales of the transactions people buying and selling apartment buildings right now that is definitely trended down significantly. Yeah. And it's because we have this buyer-seller expectation gap. I have this conversation with the brokers all the time. You know, there are sellers, they want to sell, but there are buyers who, if they tried to pay the sellers what the seller wants, well, they can't make, they can't even cover their debt. So obviously that that shuts the whole system down. It'll come back into balance. I, I personally believe rates, you know, if you look at the forward rate curves, I mean, they're expecting rates to top out and then kind of ease off a little bit as we go into a, a slower economic time mm-hmm. and, you know, things will come back into balance. But, you know, now more than ever, you know, experience is so important in this business because, you know, back when cap rates were were even more compressed than they are now, you know, you, you, you felt euphoric. You felt like, oh, rates will never change. That I All should right, I don't right. need to use a, a, a terminal cap rate that's so a lot higher than what I'm going in at. But, you know, experience has told us, that that that's a dangerous game to play and so we've always underwritten pretty conservatively so we're doing fine and uh you know as long as uh people were conservative in their underwriting and making sure that they they don't get upside down with with uh, an exit cap rate they'll be fine i suspect there are some people a lot of people came into this into this line of work uh, pretty recently and they may not have that that experience so i suspect you know sometime during 2023 there's going to be some folks with some bridge loans come and do that, you know, they're going to, they're going to struggle because the property is, you know, maybe they weren't able to raise rents as much as they thought, depending on the market. And that's so,
0: actually a lot of the stuff we're seeing, man, uh, on, yeah. the, on the lower, lower level, or whether we're talking about single family or multifamily. And when I talk about multifamily, I'm talking about, you know, 120 to 30 to 120 unit buildings, right? Yep. Yep these, these folks jumped in, uh, because they could, you know, it was a great mm-hmm. idea. It's a popular thing right now, getting into multifamily and, you know, all the benefits of that and so on and so forth. But they, you know, what do they say? Uh, forgive them for they know not what they do. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, but now they're, they're in these situations where they've got these bridge loans and they're not going to be able to take care of it because money has gotten so expensive. So they're got to, they're gonna to have to figure something out. And it's due, like those loans are due. It's not like you can come in with creative financing and just take it over. Those loans are due, right? right? And, you, you you are right. The, yeah. and you talked about the, the, the disparity between buyers and sellers, which is another thing that we see a lot of, where sellers are just unrealistic. They still think it's a year ago. And that values are still increasing and that money is still, you know, two and three quarters percent. It's just not the case. <laughs> Correct. It's, it's so it, far, It'll balance out.
1: Yeah, it'll, it'll balance out. We just need to be patient, right? As a buyer, you need to be patient. Let the market settle out. I mean, you look at, uh, you, you know, to, today, you know, the yesterday, we had crazy movements in the stock market, right? Oh, the, yeah. You can tell that the markets in general, we're talking generically, we're still, the, the markets are trying to figure this out. So it's going to take a minute. Things will settle out, and then uh, that that gap will close. I'm very certain of that. Um, <clears throat> meanwhile, we're out raising money right now, preparing, you know, building up our war chest so that we can, uh, you, you know, we're and we're in a good position to strike.
0: Absolutely, because even though you may not be acquiring right now because of that, you know, buyer-seller disconnect, sellers are going to get more realistic, and buyers mm-hmm. are just like these hungry, salivating wolves in the tree line, <laughs> just, just waiting.
1: Well said, well said, my friend, very
0: well said. Yes, sir. I mean, it just, and, and it is, it is about being yeah. patient. You know, you've got a lot of uh, gurus, real estate gurus that are saying, hey, now's the time to buy, now's the time to buy, now's the time to buy. But That's not necessarily the, the case, depending on how you're buying we're at the precipice of that buy season And patience, as you mentioned, especially in the multifamily space, patience is a virtue. If you are not patient, you're moving too fast, you're going to miss something. You're going to make a bad choice. Yeah. You're, you, you know, And I don't have to tell you that just one mistake in your underwriting process or, or just overlooking something because you know, you're betting on the market and maybe you're a little too soon can cost you tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions, depending on the level of what you're playing.
1: You're exactly right, yeah. And so I find- Yeah, you have to be patient. The issue here is FOMO. People always have, you know what FOMO is? Mm -hmm. They're missing out. And that just, I I have always been just shocked to see what a motivator that is for people. Mm. They don't want to be left behind and all their buddies are buying. Why are you not buying? You know, and, and when we bring in a new investor, uh, the number one discussion I have with them is centered around one word, and that's patience. Mm-hmm. You're in our fund. We're gonna find a deal to call your capital, but we just need you to be patient because my in my world, you pay us to to do good deals, yes. not to just do deals. So uh, that and so FOMO really makes it hard for people to be patient. It just yeah. does. Yeah, uh, but you got you got to be patient. You just have to be patient. That's a great
0: distinction, by the way. You pay us to do good deals, not to do deals.
1: I got to write that that down. That's so important. That's so important because it drives FOMO, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of these people that are new into business, you know, they're trying to make a living doing this, and and that's fine. That's what they're supposed to do, but they're fee-driven. A lot of times they're fee-driven, sponsors are fee-driven, they're... You know, these things matter, right? They have to collect these fees. So they tend to be more aggressive and go after deals that maybe they shouldn't. Yeah.
0: And and I think we're going to, I can tell you, you know, in the secondary markets that I search in, in the Southeast, you know, I've watched values of properties go from, there was one 48 unit building I was looking at. And I was negotiating with the seller. The seller pulled it back out. I was looking at it at the time at 675. Mm-hmm and he pulled back you know the market was going up like really big time this was in the at the end of 2019 Mm -hmm. and so he put it back on the market maybe three or four months later at twice the price twice and the numbers just didn't support it right just didn't support it someone did purchase it though yes they did a year later i noticed it back on the market (laughs) you know because it mm-hmm. wasn't cash flow, you know, someone just they right. did exactly what you said not to do, and and they jumped in there and they got themselves in trouble and, and probably lost, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars at least.
1: I see it happen all the time.
0: Wow, and it probably happens more often than most people think.
1: Yeah, yeah. When you when you fail, you don't exactly raise your hand, <laughs> tell the world, jump on TV. You don't you don't do that. Look what right? I most. People Yeah. Look what I screwed up. Yeah. No, most people don't do that. And and it's terrible to watch. Uh, It it really is because you really feel bad because they really their hearts are in the right place. They're working hard. But, you know, in this business, when you're doing what we do, it doesn't matter how hard you work. It's how smart you work. Absolutely, Um, You can work 80 hours a week. But if you do bad deals, you're done. It's you're just you can't fix that problem. Yeah. So, now yeah, the, just be disciplined. That's the number one thing I want your listeners to just think about. Just be disciplined. For the just,
0: smaller operators, mm-hmm. you know, those folks that are buying, I'd say thirty to hundred units. Mm-hmm. The smaller operators that are looking to acquire right now, what would be some of the best advice that you could give them? And I'm talking about people that have maybe been a part of an LP once mm-hmm. and. And read a bunch of books and took courses by a couple guys, you know. Yep. But they're yep. really stepping out there on their own right now for the first time, mm-hmm. maybe even the second. But they really don't have that operator's experience quite yet. But yeah. I can tell you definitively there's a ton of them out there because I'm Oh, know I know there are. <laughs> <And there's laughs> I talk them. to them all the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What would what advice or, or what cautions other than the patient's aspect would you give that newer investor that's literally putting hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. right now.
1: Yeah. So I, I, uh, you know, I didn't see this question in advance, but two things jumped to my mind because I have this conversation all the time. Number one, um, I want you to try to get a mentor on your team as part of that. You know, if you're going to do this, do it with a partner, another general partner. We call it the GP pool. Um, We don't let people in our pool, but When you're starting out, there's nothing wrong with that. You need a mentor. You need somebody that has experience that's going to help you uh, make good decisions. And it'll actually help you raise money because people that are investing in your deals will see that you have an experienced person on your team. And that's going to be really, really important. If you don't have the experience, you can't demonstrate that you've done this before. It is much, much more difficult to raise the money. And then the second thing I want people to, to focus on is and i see this this one just baffles me you've got to dive into the numbers and trust the numbers don't lie don't don't try to do high level analysis and see that through as your as your underwriting to close you've got to nail down all the expenses you can nail down just about every single number in in your p l in this business with the exception of maintenance and repair unit turn costs and uh, capital improvements which we we can estimate over the long run but every other number you can figure out what it's going to be with some pretty good accuracy and those numbers don't lie don't 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 think that those numbers aren't telling you the truth and so what happens is when you have that mentor that experienced person in your gp pool they know that so they'll you know they'll first of all stop you from doing the deal if you haven't done this level of homework uh, and two, make sure that your numbers make sense and and uh, that you that you stay out of trouble. So those are the two things that I wanna see people do uh, when they're, when they're making that step up, right? They're going from single family to small apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, it is in the single family world, it's not as much about the numbers, right? Because right. the numbers, the cash flow doesn't usually drive the sale price. There's that disconnect, right? Because you get people are buying single family homes to live in them. They're not buying them necessarily for cash flow. Well, in our business, cash flow generally drives value. That's the reason I like it. So if you haven't beat up those numbers and people, it it, people just uh, some people out there are convinced that you don't need to dive into that detail, and they just don't feel like they need to do it, or they don't want to, or they don't really understand it. And it's kind of that space, you know, you kind of this white cloud over your, over your eyes that you just, you don't understand it. So you don't really dive into it. But I want, I want you to focus on the numbers because when you do, it's going to be crystal clear that your example, that that guy bought that property, that 44 unit, I think you said it was, Uh, it would have been crystal clear that he shouldn't have bought that property. It would have been really obvious. I
0: passed on it. I mean, it was a great deal at 675 needed some, some, some renovations, some work needed to be done. There was a, what I would mm. consider to be at, at 675, I still needed to put 300,000 into it and mm-hmm. it would have worked, but at, you know, 1.3, <laughs> you don't need right. to put 300,000 into it. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a so horrible deal.
1: You You paid the seller for all the value you're going to try to create.
0: Absolutely. So what I pulled out of that is three things <clears throat> so far, patience, underwriting, understanding the numbers. And getting mm-hmm. a mentor, getting a mentor, if, if for no other reason than to just review what you've done, to underwrite your underwriting.
1: Yeah. And this, I mean, it's just like any business. There are so many things that you don't know that you don't know. That's why you need the mentor because mm-hmm. they're going to know some of the things that you don't know. They're going to realize that you don't know them. I mean, it's, it's, it happens all the time. You know, oh my gosh, I didn't, i never even knew that was a thing. Yeah. Right, you, I hear people say that all the time. So yeah, it it all kind of boils, it all kind of comes together: mentor, patience, and underwriting, um, and of course, my financial background being a CPA and a commercial lender. That uh, wouldn't shock you that I would be focused on numbers, because no, no, why? Because no. that cash flow drives the value. That's right. You That's know, people
0: say numbers never lie. Numbers never lie. The numbers do tell the truth, but numbers can be skewed depending on, you know, how they're presented, and. Oh, yeah. And we see a lot of that when we're looking at people's OMS, you know, the OMS that, you know, oh, yeah. this company will send out. And it's always the futuristic number, right? 100% of the time. And so yeah. you can't, and I say that to say, you can't trust the numbers that are being handed to you. You've really got to dig in. You've really you, got to dig in.
1: You You do. And look, most brokers don't misrepresent anything they tell you exactly what it is they're showing you yeah they tell you okay i'm looking at the seller's trailing 1 t1 income mm-hmm. and i've normalized the seller's expenses and then i go from that to i jump right over the in place numbers to year 1 pro forma it, they've told you everything mm-hmm. they are not they're not pulling the wool over your eyes they're telling you exactly what is on that piece of paper It's just, if you don't have the experience, you don't realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. I miss you missed, I call it year zero. Uh, Year zero matters, because that's what your lender's gonna look at, and you gotta be able to pay your rent in year zero, or pay your mortgage on year zero numbers, not year one after you've renovated half the place.
0: I I couldn't agree with you more on that. And people just get sucked up into it. You know, I I can give you a couple examples. We had a a young man uh, straight out of the military, he had come to us we it was a 10 unit building he was buying he was using his VA loan he was going to live in it you know the whole thing mm mm-hmm. yep and this was the start for him great idea you know he awesome. watched some some videos and and reached out to some people i was just one of them i looked at the building and i told him this is not this isn't your deal this isn't your deal for several reasons one the numbers just don't make sense it's on the lower end yes but the numbers simply don't make sense and mm-hmm. you're going to have to put in too much work uh, for this particular property. And it's not in your numbers. Where's that money coming from? I know you <laughs> weren't in the military long enough to put that, pull that out of your pocket. Right. So this is a bad deal for you. It's a horrible deal. Ultimately, he didn't get it. He still tried to push forward. But he had mm-hmm. an honest broker who just said, look, I can make these numbers work. But you're going to be stuck with this thing. And you're not going to be happy. It's not a good... wow. Broker. That's
1: good for good for that broker because yeah, he had an honest broker. Yeah, honest. that good for him because
0: the kid wasn't listening to anyone else.
1: That's because they just want to. They want to get in the game, man. I mean, th- think about it. You're on the sidelines. You're watching everybody do all these great things, and you're on the sidelines, and you're like, Jesus, I just want in the damn game. But then, just like, give me a shot, coach. Yeah, give me a
0: shot for sure. And it's that's timing. You know, you listen to people like, and I. Talk about these two people a lot, Warren Buffett and Robert Kiyosaki. Mm
1: -hmm. Warren
0: Buffett is a guy up until 2008 who just, I mean, even after a little bit, would just bash real estate. He hates it as an investment. Yeah, yeah, I know. He he just (laughs) bashed it. But what did he do? Right after 2008, he bought Harry Norman, turned it into Berkshire Hathaway Brokers, and went around the country buying up a bunch of real estate. Yep. Tens of thousands of properties he bought right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, a great investment. Um, Robert Kiyosaki, for instance, as wealthy as he was up to 2008, he made more money between 2008 and I think 2015, 2016, than he had ever made prior to that. Ever. You know, in reading those case studies, and these are the people that are online right now telling you don't buy anything don't buy anything and all they're doing is telling people to get out of the market so they can minimize competition <laughs> they can come in and tell, buy up everything you know uh because you, you you know like I know it i mean it's it's just like the stock market if the if msnbc or or you know any of these shows are talking about a particular industry or a couple companies you know the herd mentality is let's run to it Yep. All the while institutional yeah. investors are pulling out of it. They're they're minimizing their because they know what's going to happen. They know what's going to happen. And right. I, I see the same thing now in in real estate. And on all levels because I've been around a few of these economic cycles now and when you're like me talk having this conversation with you I'm saying to myself, you know, okay, we've seen this. So how do we take advantage of it? You're having this conversation with me saying, uh, we've taken advantage of it a time or two already. This is just another one. Here's how you prepare for it. I say that to say, as 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 you're listening out there, this is a man who's got the experience of, of being active and making money in and through a couple, if not a few, economic downturns would i be right in that assumption
1: you, you'll be right yeah i always tell people you can buy in pretty much any market you just have to adjust your underwriting mm-hmm. and then stay disciplined you, you just have to and if if you're if if what's happening right now is what you see right this expectation gap that isn't closing well then you don't buy you just you just don't buy um you just sit tight and wait and it'll come back It'll it'll work it it the market always comes back together, right? The market's going to find its way to equilibrium and we'll get there. You just had to be patient. So what do you do? I always tell people I try to follow the cycles, right? Right now is a great time to raise money, get build up your war chest so that when this gap closes, then you can go out and go do your thing and grab up as much as you can. So there's always something for you to do in this business.
0: Now, I want to also address another thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pull as much of these nuggets out of you as I possibly can. One thing you mentioned earlier was about value add. You know, we want to add value to the assets that we acquire. A lot mm-hmm. of people, especially having come from the single family space are all, they, they have an idea of what it costs to do plumbing. They have a an idea of what HVAC or, or roofing material is going to be, but it's right. it's not the same. You're not using the same kinds of materials. and. Mm-hmm. For different reasons, right? Of course, it depends on where where you're building, but that CapEx and understanding the renovation aspect of it, understanding what's needed, big or small, going into Mm -hmm. this new acquisition of yours is vitally important. I mean, how do you add value effectively? Let's say, uh, just to give you an example, I'm not going to go worst case scenario because I think that would be an easy one. Let's go into something where, uh, okay, we have a property that's operating well, maybe Mm -hmm. it's a mom and pop, something that, you know, it might be a hundred unit in central Florida, which you and I know would be Mm -hmm. ridiculously expensive, at least from my perspective. But, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, those are big deals like buying a hundred units in middle Georgia might cost you, you know, 3 million bucks. Take that same property and put it in central Florida. (laughs) 20 million. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You're going to start adding zeros. (laughs) Yes. You (laughs) You can. we're going to put another yes, comma do. in there somewhere. But you buy something like that that's performing well, but it's a mom and pop. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's things they haven't done. But people are happy. It's clean. It's neat. You know, you, you at, mm-hmm. at, at its uh, current rate, maybe it's operating. Maybe you buy it at a four or five cap as it currently is operating based on the numbers you're looking at now. But because of the experience you have, you look at it and say, hey, we can do this, this, this. It's operating well but we can add these things or we can save money on these things over here, which is going to save us money. What, are, what kind of things are you looking at when you're acquiring something like that, that you're not going into and to have to, you know, redo all the plumbing to redo all the electric, you know, something that operates well, but it's yeah. the, maybe just the smaller things, things that you can cut out or add to, <coughs> how do you do that? And how do you calculate for that when you're doing your numbers?
1: Yeah, so it starts with and and actually, if you go to our YouTube channel, uh, we on that YouTube channel is a, a little video I did. It's a it's called the Jacksonville turnaround story. It's a property that we bought in Jacksonville. We What's your held YouTube it, channel? Uh, KRI Partners. Got it. Uh, but you go there. And there's a bunch of videos on there. But uh, that I, I talk about the Jacksonville turnaround story because what it what I did with that video, I get this question a lot you know how do you guys add value what do you do what what kind of things do you do they're trying to understand what it means to be in the day-to-day business of what KRI does so i did this video i narrated it myself it you know it's not the most exciting video but what it does i do a lot of before and afters i talk through why did i buy the property what did we see you'll see when when i bought it it was no it was no star right but it was it was in a great area so i i talk through what did i identify up front How did I figure out what needed to be done, and then how, why I wanted to do what I did? So let's let's now. I've taken you to that video. Watch it. It'll be you know I think you'll find it to be interesting. But now let's go back to how we analyze these value add deals. So I look at a property. I I always start with neighborhood. You got to start with neighborhood. We we don't we just don't buy in rough neighborhoods because it's really hard to add enough value there to or to you know get people to pay more in rent. So we stick to good neighborhoods. Then we're looking for an asset that has something that is cool about it, right? I want, I need to be able to find a way so that when somebody goes to that property, there's something that tugs at them emotionally. It's like, ah, oh, this place is kind of cool. It depends. It depends on the property as to what that thing is. But that that Jacksonville story happened to be a very residential feel. It had a pond on the backside. It had lots and lots of green space. Okay, so that that's how I I thought, you know what? I can make this property a lot nicer than it is today. Mm -hmm. You know, it just wasn't well run. We felt like it could be more than it was today. So now, okay, I have an idea that sounds fantastic, but is it economically feasible? That's when you have to go get out your little Excel spreadsheet and say, okay, if I'm going to do this, and that particular property, we had to do all the roofs. We painted all the exteriors. We did some improvements. Uh, we, We fixed up the amenity package and we, piece by piece, I tried to estimate exactly what each one of these things cost. So in that case, we kind of backwards underwrote it. So I said, okay, if I do all of these things, I think I can get rents to a certain point. How do I know I can get those rents? Because I went out and I got on my little Google Maps and I looked at all the apartment buildings nearby and I figured out exactly where my competitive set is now. And if I made it nicer, what would my new competitive set look like? And if a renter was looking in that price range, what would they expect? And could I provide that and could I be competitive? So I knew where my rents could go. I knew what I did to the wanted to do the property. I knew what the seller was asking. So now I put all this together to say, okay, if I pay this and I invest all this money based on my detailed renovation plan, and I add this much value through new rents, you know, increased rents, is it going to provide enough value that we can make money? That's literally how we do this process. And what I do then is I may or may not like the initial result, depending. Mm -hmm. So what I then is I go back and I scrutinize my plan. Okay, do I really need to do this or that? And so I really nailed down a renovation plan so that everything we do is either dealing with deferred maintenance because we don't have a choice, mm-hmm. or it will clearly add value to the property and make someone want to pay more to live there. And so that's how we do, that's how we do our value add plan. You see, our plan works because if you think about anything in business, you, you can't just buy a business and things just happen and you make money. Mm-hmm. It has to be very purposeful, right? Mm-hmm. So when we buy that property, we're very deliberate about every single thing we do. We are adding value because that's how you can consistently make money in in business is actually create value for the world. And when you do that, you can charge more for it and then you can make money. So I don't know if that helps, but I think that kind of lays out our process. We do get into the weeds. I say, okay, if I need to put in you know, a hundred, that property I think was 104 units. Do I need, and, and we did all our work as well on the outside. So mm-hmm. I called up my contractor buddy and said, look, I want to paint this thing. How much is it going to cost? I'm going to put new roofs on it. How much is it going to cost? The roofs were like 300,000. The paint, uh, I think it was like 85 or 90,000, right? I, I put all my numbers together and figured it out. And that th- it's that hard work. Remember when I, we talked about the underwriting hard work? It's sure. no different than with renovations. Same exact thing. And then as after you buy the property and you're implementing your business plan, don't be afraid to change it. Because you're going to learn new things that you didn't know yesterday or before you bought it. Don't be afraid to change your plan because that's what you should do. When you learn new things, you should okay, does this plan still make sense? Should I tweak it a little bit? What what should I do? And always be scrutinizing that. I think that's So that's our business plan, my friend.
0: That's real. Now I'd asked you about this before and I wanted you to kind of touch on this as well. Uh okay. where you you had written, let me look at it, I want to get it right here. Real estate is not a passive activity. Investing is. Yeah.
1: yeah. That that's exactly right. I it makes me nuts when I hear people say, you know what, I, I want some passive income, I'm gonna go buy a duplex. I said, Oh, you are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> who's <laughs> so what, who's gonna who's gonna clean the the toilets? Who's gonna Turn the units. Well, I, I will. I'll do that on the weekends, man. My my wife is cool. We want to build up some. She will let me do that. She doesn't mind. She doesn't want me around anyway on the weekends. I'll go over there and tinker and do my thing and whatever. And so I would ask you. Well, you might be generating income, but it certainly isn't passive. No, that's not That passive. that's you there swinging a hammer. You know, using the saw. You're you're very very active. So people think that that real estate thing that I just described as passive, it's not. It's not even close. So the only way to be passive investment, uh, a passive investor in real estate is to invest with a firm like ours. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of other firms out there that, that do what we do. But when you just write me a check, I go do my thing, right? I could do all the things that I just told you about in the Jacksonville deal. And then I return a whole bunch of money to you because I did a good job. That's passive investing. What did you do? All you had to do is write the check. You still went to your day job, you still did whatever it is you did with your family on the weekend. Mm-hmm. You had no commitment. So I, I always like to get people to kind of really make sure that they focus on what is passive versus active. They just they just think that they're gonna buy this duplex and you know, that's gonna be mailbox money, but it's not gonna be mailbox money. It it just never is when you when you stay that small.
0: Even with a, a good property manager, you're still involved. And
1: well, it's hard to afford a good property manager with smaller properties. Absolutely. I mean, it just is. How much time and effort? I always say, uh, you know, I used to have people come to me, hey, can you look at my, you know, my property management company's not doing a very good job. You know, my occupancy is whatever. People aren't paying their rent. And I. the first thing I ask them is, well, how much are you paying your property management company? Well, I'm paying them 500 a month. I don't know. I'm making up a number here. And I. so I ask them, how much time and energy and resources do you think they can commit to your property for that whopping 500 bucks that's right not very much so you kind of you're getting what you pay for that's, that's exactly kind of right. the way it is in our world 200 250 units the management fees eight ten thousand dollars a month guess what they're gonna put some time and attention on that now we happen to manage our own properties because we just we're, we're pretty focused on how we do things but now we have the ability to throw the right resources at it when the management fee is high enough that that you know you can do this profitably. Does that, that make sense?
0: Absolutely. It brings up another great point because you'll hear uh some people uh, again, I'm not gonna say any names, but <laughs> they'll say, you know, don't, you know, don't put your own property management in place until you get to this place. Or start it right yeah. away. Start it right away. Learn your processes. Implement your own pro- I right. think starting your own management right away if you do not have operator's experience or enough operator's experience around you and the time to be hands on uh starting putting your own management in place in the beginning is a horrible idea that that's my point
1: <laughs> yeah it, it it's tough it, it is tough there's i mean that's how we've always done it uh i tried a third party manager for about 30 days <laughs> i got rid of them every right, 30 right, days right. but but it, it's it's you know, I had always uh, at once I figured out how lucrative this business could be, and I saw how um, how some third-party management companies are not the best. Mm-hmm. My company originally grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. That's where we made money for our first ten years of our existence. Mm-hmm. And there's no third-party management infrastructure in Cleveland because nobody invests from Cleveland in Cleveland from outside of Cleveland, so it's all total owner operator town. So I kind of grew up that way Okay, because I could, you know, there were a couple of third-party managers, but like I said, it, the, the only one I hired the last 30 days. And I said, <laughs> this isn't working for me. So we, we moved on now in Florida. I mean, there's third-party managers on every door, you know, on right. every corner They're they're everywhere because so many people invest in Florida from outside, but we just simply continued to, to do what we do. Now, here's the thing. You have to be prepared. That in the day of a life of Ken Gee, I spend more time than I wish I had to on some management activities. Now we've gone to the point where I have got some really top-notch people in our senior management team. I spend very, very little time on management. It's usually just checking in, answering a few questions, things like that. But there was a time when you know I was trying to figure out how to get the units turned and and yeah. so on. So you know, over the last 25 years, I've developed systems and processes. And now it's a pretty well-oiled machine, but but you're right. I mean, you you have to ask yourself early on, what do you want to commit yourself to? Mm -hmm. Do you want to commit yourself to finding deals and underwriting, or do you want to commit yourself to trying to figure out how to evict this guy or gal who won't pay their rent, and you know what should you do, and all that kind of stuff? It's a good, you know, it's a decision that you have to make. It was kind of made. It is, yeah, it is.
0: Yep, you know, and, and where it's where you value your your position. In your organization Mm -hmm. where do you have the most value where do you give the most value
1: and if you're top i'm sorry go ahead i I will tell you that i think i didn't mean to interrupt but i will tell you that i think we are more successful because we manage our own stuff because we're vertically integrated Mm -hmm. because we just we've just learned so much along the way that it's hard to find third-party management companies that have been doing it for 25 years who have been that focused on really fine tuning their operations and it gives us that, that, that visibility all the way to the ground so that, remember I I talked about pivoting on your, on your renovation plan and things like that. If you've got somebody else below you, you might not have access to the information that you're like, Oh man, I wish I would have known that Mm. because I would have changed my plan. So we have a better chance at that. So it has served us very, very well. There are days that I wake up that I wish I wasn't the property management firm, but um, I, I think our investors have benefited enormously because because of that.
0: Well, you, I would imagine, even though you're employing folks, you're saving money as opposed to paying five or six percent to an outside management team.
1: Well, I mean, we pay ourselves, uh, right? right We're, we we right. pay ourselves of uh, a fair wage uh, yeah. to to do it. Where we save is our expertise. Mm-hmm. We just we've been doing it so many times. When we go into a property to turn it around, i will just give you an example. We we have it's called our 90-day turnaround plan. The first 30 days is like triage. Remember the MASH movie mm-hmm. where uh, <laughs> where the the helicopters would show up and then the nurses and, and all the Al Alan Aldo would be there and they'd all do triage, right? That's the first <laughs> 30 days when you own the property. Then the second 30 days we start to impose our will on the people. They understand that they actually have to pay rent and we start to figure out who the bad guys are and we start to move against them. And then by that third 30-day period, it's kind of our property now. It feels like our property. People appreciate the level of service they get. So here's what I'm trying to illustrate. I'm trying to illustrate that we know it's a 90-day turnaround plan. We know exactly what's going to happen in each phase. And so we can be really consistent and efficient about how we turn properties around rather than risking that we we hook up with a property management company who doesn't really have that much experience with turnarounds, right? You you just got to be really careful. So... I just wanted to point that out but uh, you know as as a way that I think we've added tremendous value and it's not uncommon for if you think about the you know a typical private equity firm that's not in real estate say they go buy companies they pride themselves most of them do on their ability to bring their expertise down to the company that they've acquired and adding value through that process and we kind of do that same thing when we buy properties does that make sense Absolutely 1000% you know <clears throat> it's a
0: business that, for for me, it, it's it's a business or an aspect of the business that is consistently evolving. But there are processes that are continuous through that evolution. Does that make sense?
1: It does. Yep. Yep.
0: And and there, in fine tuning those things as you, as you've just described in your business, is where you really, because um, moving with ease is more important than making all the money right Mm -hmm. you know understand and not not meaning you're giving up money you know it's just it's just a better place to be and i like the fact of how you broke it down where you know you have all the information so if you need to move laterally you can do that Mm -hmm. you know i think that's extremely important in dealing with this so my next question to you is this Mm -hmm. you know for for the accredited investor that's listening right now, for the non-accredited investor that's listening right now, and they're saying, listen, I want to look at some of these deals they're doing. I, I, I'm I'm interested in having a conversation with Ken or Ken's team about getting involved in some of these projects and what that might look like for me. How do they do that?
1: Yeah, so our website, uh, actually I have a book that I want them to read. It's a free giveaway kripartners.com slash ebook. Um, The book is titled Multifamily Real Estate's a Total Game Changer. And it talks about two things. Number one, uh, very much what we've talked about here, right? You know there's a ton of money to be made in real estate. You're just trying to figure out how it's going to fit into your life. So I help take you through that process, look at the different types of assets that you can buy and how you can get involved. Now, most people should be passive investors. So that brings me to the second part of the book, and that is, if if you should be a passive investor, how do you vet sponsors and how do you figure out where to put your money? That's what I devote the second half of the book to. So kripartners.com slash ebook. And then just reach out to us. You can you can call us directly uh, if you want to actually have a conversation with us. We call it an investment call. We're going to talk about what's going on with you. What are you trying to achieve? We'll talk about what we do, how we do it and see if there's a match between what you're trying to accomplish and what we're able to provide. So uh, most most people just call 813-489-9666. Uh, 813-489-9666. And that rings right to our office and one of our, one of our investor relations people will talk to you. Their goal is to try to figure out if you might be a good fit. And I do wanna have a conversation with you uh, because I just wanna make sure that you're right and we've, you've had the ability to get all your questions answered. So, you know, I pride that I take a lot of pride in the fact that I try to talk to every one of our investors before they come on board. But if you can take a look at that book, it'll really help you understand so that when we do talk, you'll, you'll, you'll be a little more uh, edu- more educated about how our business works. And it'll help you ask better questions uh, and make sure that we're the right fit for you.
0: That's excellent. That's, that's great that you have that resource as well. And Now, will that be, a, I'm assuming that'll be a digital download? It is, yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to clarify. I know you said ebook. Yep. I Just wanted to clarify yep, it for is. folks so they're not. And it's free. The mailbox.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's free. No, it's free. It's free.
0: <clears throat> yeah. So that's fantastic. I'm actually gonna uh, sign up and get a copy for myself. I want to. I want to. Re- I want to check it out. But I and I wanted to also uh, reference back to your YouTube uh, clip. It's called the Jacksonville flip.
1: The Jacksonville turnaround story. <laughs> Yeah, so our YouTube channel is now look, I'm not a super cool YouTuber, all right. I just want to set the expectations right here. Uh, but there's some really valuable information that we've we've put into that into that channel. And it's KRI Partners is the name of the channel. And we, we try to put out content at least once a week. Um, and it, you know, it's deep we do a lot of deep dive stuff, right? You know, how to maintain occupancy. we do a lot of the stuff that's really important that you know it's my goal that if you spend some time on our channel that I uh, hopefully can add some value and you know bring some information to you that you didn't have before. But that Jacksonville turnaround story, that is just an awesome example of how to add value to a property. I mean, the before and after pictures are just, they're amazing. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And when you see the video, you'll know exactly what I mean. It's about 20 minutes long.
0: And then it's just, I mean, I, I don't want <clears throat> to, I want to be respectful of everyone's time here, but I'm telling you guys, uh, that's the kind of stuff that, that you really, really wanna focus on, you wanna learn about, you wanna understand. Because it isn't just finding it's not like just flipping a house, right? I mean you could really lose your shirt by by not doing this correctly. I know people that have, you know, they wanna they wanna do all these, you know, fix and flips on apartment buildings. And in theory it's great. It's perfect. You know, it makes sense, but if you don't know what you're doing. And and the skill set doesn't necessarily for everyone, transfer from single family to multifamily overnight, you do need to have a mentor. You do need to have some some education. You've got the skills, you've got the desire, you've got the ability, but you have to be specific to that particular industry. So repositioning a multifamily property can cost you a lot of money because of the time that you didn't think that it was going to take. I mean, you you could lose, you know, and- People do lose regularly on these things. It's not just about being, you know, cash rich. You just, it's going to be a money pit. If, if you're looking at it like that, you've got to do your, your work. So, um, I'm, I'll definitely share this video as well. I'll put links to all awesome. these things in the description. You guys, if you're listening they're they're there, they're underneath in the description. All you have to do is just scroll down, click the link, the link to the, um, the Jacksonville turnaround. The link to the book. The link to the channel, uh, as well as uh, the link to the website. All of that will be there. You'll be able to reach out and uh, talk to Ken at any <clears throat> at any moment that you're ready. Excuse me, because if you're going to be a passive investor, like you said, most people should be passive investors. If you're going to be a passive investor, do it with people that are operating on a high level, right? Just just do it that way because you don't know who you can trust. There are some people out there that are very vocal, that are very visible, that might not be the right fit for you. So look into it, as Ken says. Do you have anything to say in closing, Ken?
1: You know what? No, it's been a a pleasure being here. I hope I've shared some good information and, you know, I could go on for hours and hours and hours. I'm certainly not going to do that. But, you know, if you go to our YouTube channel, you'll get, you you know, this, uh, you'll uh, hopefully learn a lot. So uh, look forward to talking to uh, some of your listeners one-on-one. I'd really enjoy that. Absolutely.
0: And guys, again, as always, you know, wherever you are right now, do what you got to do. Get the information. Get the education for where you want to go next. Start to build yourself up before you get there. Be known before you need it. You know what it is. This is your man, Miles. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. We'll See you guys next week.